are you listening? Hey fam, welcome to the Future Is Here podcast. This is for the leaders, the dreamers, provocateurs, misfits, the frustrated frontline leaders who are charging in the kingdom. If you're tired of a reactive church, it's time to build a church we dream of now. The future is here, so don't get left behind. Are you listening? Let's get into it. Well, welcome to another episode of the Features Here podcast. I am your host, Tommy Nixon, and I'm excited for today. We have Show Baraka on again. A couple months ago in November, we had him at um, on for UIWI, Urban Youth Workers Institute, talking about politics. And it was it was right during the election, and it was hot, and things were we were worried, and and so much has happened since that time. And so, um, Show, we're so excited just to have you on, man. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate what you guys are doing, bro. Yeah, man. So last time, let's just get into it, man. Last time we were talking and we were talking about politics and we're talking about, um, it kind of came up like evangelicalism. And I got to be honest, you you posed something, you you stopped me for a moment and you were like, well, wait a minute. Um, And you you brought up black evangelicalism and you were like, Mm -hmm. you know, one, one group of people can't own evangelicalism. And I thought this was so, um, it was such a great point and it, and it kind of stopped me because I thought, man, that's a good point. And so, and that's what we want to talk about today, man, this, this, uh, understanding and movement of black evangelicalism. And so, um, you talked about, you know, one group can't own all that. So share a little bit more about what, what did you mean by that? And what does that, what does that look like in our context today with the church? Yeah, I think history will teach us the more we read about, you know, especially the why there isn't a such thing as a black church and a white evangelical church, if you will. History will teach us that when it comes to the term evangelicalism, yeah, I mean, if you want to say somebody owns the actual term, okay, cool. But the principle of evangelicalism, absolutely not. Mm. And uh, there are people who are way more educated than me who understand David Bevington. Um, kind of break down of what evangelicalism means. It's like conversionism, activism, biblicism, and and, and Christ kind of like the crucifixion, <laughs> basically the centering of uh, Christ's uh, sacrifice on the cross. Right? Yep. And you tell me throughout history that there weren't black churches who didn't have a high view of activism, who didn't have a high view. Um, conversionism, who didn't have an high view of biblicism mm. and Christ's sacrifice on the cross, right? And that they held to those things with with high fidelity. And to say that all of a sudden that there's only one particular group who can um, occupy that space to me is is naivety at its highest form. And mm. what we do though is oftentimes what we see is the people who violate these kind of positions and postures and we we want to distance ourselves from it and say, well, I'm not that. And so therefore, um, I don't want to have any association with that. And so I'm pretty sure you have friends who even left the faith because of the abuse of Christianity, the abuse of the faith, the abuse of, uh, how evangelicals have weaponized their faith against particular people, how oftentimes even they've marginalized people groups. And what I would love to do rather than retreat from Christianity, because people have used this as a weapon is to fight back against the darkness mm. rather than saying, well, I give up. Christianity has no utility. It says, no, Christianity has high utility, but it's been mismanaged. It's misappropriated. 
And it's become a social status and club rather than a faith that actually transforms the hearts and the souls of individuals. Mm. It's become a cultural product. It's become a, a, a tool for war to get people to bend to particular policies and principles rather than, well, policies and agendas rather than to get these folks to see a transcendent truth that changes the whole individual. No, that's so good. I mean, and really, it, you know, for those of you guys who have been following our podcast and, and show, you know, this too, for us, the urban youth workers, you know, you got 1.2 million young people leaving the church every year. Um, and the, and like I always say, you know, the world is continuing young, it's urban, it's multi-ethnic, but this next generation is so confused by the gospel we're presenting or have been presenting. And these aren't people that are like, oh, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. They're like, no, I was in your church for a while. I heard your gospel. I watched, uh, what you said. I watched how you behaved and acted and, and really have seen this, um, this movement of evangelicalism be so connected with political power and uh, yeah. a syncretism really for American nationalism yeah. and that um, they've called us out. And I, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate that about young people. But the problem is, is that I feel like the fight is, and what you're talking about, the fight is to reclaim, reframe and, and, and correct some of the things from the past in this. Um, because I do believe when I look at the gospel, I go, man, this is, this is still the hope. I, it, it's beautiful. It makes sense. Like uh, a suffering Christ makes so much sense in our world today. Um, and it feels like that's been co-opted and, and taken and used, as you said, weaponized for something else. And so for you, you know, even in this term, I just want to know a little bit personally for you. I have a lot of friends that have gone, I'm not evangelical then, and they have left the church or they've distanced themselves in that way. What has been that journey for you personally, even in your walk with God and in your engagement, you know, with the church? My goal is to, to welcome the tension enter into the conflict rather than, and, and look, before I say this, I am perfectly fine with people retreating with uh, people uh, evading the labels because labels are just that. They're just ways to to shorting the, to, sh- to, to save us time with describing, over-describing ourselves. Right? Yeah. Like, well, I'm all these things. Like, nothing is they look. I'm just evangelical because it, makes, it gives you a, a sense of, okay, I see where you stand when it comes to how you believe about, you know, Jesus. Mm. Um, and so for me, um, unless if we're not going to hold on to the label, which I am not saying that we have to evangelicalism, then what are we like? What am I? Yeah. And just to say I'm a Christian could be sufficient, but even that has been abused, right? Like people still look at that. And so what I'm saying is that throughout history, uh, and there's a book doctrine and race that is, that's done a good job of this as well. And many other authors and writers, Carter G. Woodson, one of my favorite people, he's, has a whole bunch of journals on black faith, uh, Negro faith. And uh, one of the things I've seen is that black evangelicalism has been a thing since the emancipation. Hmm. Um, and for me to feel like, and it's the same, if I could be even more controversial, it's almost the same way I feel about the label American. I know a lot of black friends, I have a lot of black friends, and brown friends who won't call themselves, who, who won't take on the the label as American as a sense of pride. And I get that. And I won't necessarily say it's, I'm a proud, I won't say that I'm proud necessarily to be American, but I am American. And what I will not do 
is allow for America to be built off of the, the backs and the work and the blood and tears of black, brown, and indigenous people. And to all of a sudden say, you know what, I don't want to be, I don't want any kind of say in what happens in this country. Because the reality is, then we're citizens with no home, like we're individuals with no home. Mm. Like, who do we belong to? And I'm not going to move into, <laughs> I'm not going to help build a house be told that I can live in this house. And then when turmoil comes and say, no, I don't, I don't want any claim to this house. I'm like, no, like you guys are mistreating this property. Like I helped build this thing. My family helped build this thing. And we need to figure out how to reposition this thing so that it is a light to the world rather than a detriment. And I talk about this in my book, Shameless Flux. <laughs> uh, he saw that it was good and uh, how, and I love what you say, like the suffering of Christ, because the one thing that I think we're missing in evangelicalism, and I think brown folk, indigenous people, and, and, and black people have all acknowledged about their Jesus that he was crucified. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have a Jesus that is crucified, I think you begin to have a Jesus who's a lobbyist, who's, <laughs> who's there to, to give you political power and positioning so that you can use that to squash enemies. And Jesus never came to squash <laughs> political enemies. He came to squash principalities yeah. and ideology. And you do that in a way that sometimes is sacrificial. And sometimes, as I like to say, sometimes winning is dying on the cross. And one thing that the evangelical church today has lost is that ability and that sense of how to die on the cross. They are they are the ones who are screaming crucify rather than saying I'll take the cross for you. Mm. Wow, that's so good, man. I mean, and thinking through that a little bit, as we and I love that you brought up this idea of identity. Like, how do I identify? And I, I got to be real honest. Uh, I've always struggled with that. Like straight up, even like personally, like how do I? Like, who am I? So I'm mixed, right? I'm like Filipino and European. All this feels like my family just went around Europe, just sleeping with people, man. So, like, I, yeah, yeah, they, I mean, they like, so, I mean, we, <laughs> we all over the place, man. But, but also like mixed with Filipino, but then I, I grew up in, in the African American community. And then, but my dad lives in Mexico and I have half Mexican brothers and sisters. And I, it's just like, I, I'm just, you know, so there's this part of me that one of the reasons the gospel really calls to me is, and Christ calls to me is that he's inviting me into a family, into an identity. But yet yeah. I, I felt though that it, it's, it, you know, that identity has been hijacked. So when, so when people go, Oh, you're a Christian, huh? I know I go, I know what you're thinking. I know you think, you know, how I voted. I know you think how I, you know, like right. what I'm for, what I'm against, but it's just not true. So what part of, I, I feel like would love to hear from you. What part and attributes of like kind of the black church, do you really feel, you know, as we, that, that we should learn from, you know, people outside that community, what can we learn from, grow from and, and receive as we continue to, um, kind of reframe evangelicalism? You, you know what I mean? Not, not a much, you know, as we kind of grow from a label of that to an identity, like this is just the people of God who we are. Any, any thoughts on that? And I think you brought up one and I think it's, it's the crucified Christ. It's the suffering piece, which. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, this is the question. I, I guess there's two things that came to mind. And the first thing that I would say is that 
there is I've learned that institutions no matter who you're part of nations they all have shadows that they are trying to avoid mm. a very dark history that that is that is chasing them right I I know that there are aspects of my family that I don't want to take on mm-hmm. but they are still my family <laughs> and I still love them That's good. and um, when people walk around saying uh, I'm a Baraka I'm like yeah you are but <laughs> don't shout that loud. Don't tell. Don't tell everybody. <laughs> uh, that's funny, man. So, um, but the reality it is is that they're they're still my family. I love them with all my heart, mind, body, and soul. And I got to figure out how to constantly be reconciled with them. And here's the issue: I don't know if we want reconciliation. That's right. And uh, and it's it's easy for. Us it's hard for me to look at somebody who voted for Trump, somebody who has no quarrels with storming the Capitol, somebody who every time there's a, there's a, there's a shooting of a, of, of a non-white person in the street, that they look at that and they have just a sense of just lack of empathy, right? And then to say that, yeah, I still want to be reconciled to that, but it's, look, it's very hard. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not an easy task, but here's the deal. If we believe we have a supernatural gospel, then this gospel that we believe, this spirit that lives within us, can do things that are way beyond our comprehension and our ability. And so for some reason, I'm crazy enough to believe that that individual and I can, can some at some point come to some sort of reconciliation. That doesn't mean that we're both going to have the same views um, that we had at the start of the, the process, at the end of the process, because hopefully to some degree, like something changes. And I would hope to think that I'm the one who's changing that individual too. Mm. Um, and so that's the that's the one thing I would say. The other thing is that um, I think it's a beautiful thing to study the diversity of the church. I think, oh, my, my wife was talking to me. Give me a second. <laughs> um, I think there's a beautiful thing to study the black church and other churches because um, the one thing that the black church has always done and they've always tethered justice to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the idea of justice has never been foreign to the liberation of um, Jesus. As I, I talk about in my book, there's this concept of cognitive Christianity that is rampant in white evangelicalism. This idea that I know what I know. That's right, like, yeah. Mentally, and I can intellectually articulate these things. But there's also an aspect that I think is anemic in white evangelicalism um, that is corporeal. It's this physical aspect mm. of Jesus that it's not just I know these things, but I also feel these things and I experience these things. And he cares not only about my mental and the things I think about, but he also cares about my experience. He cares about my physical being. Mm. And so Jesus wants to change my heart. He wants to change my soul. He wants us to have right relationship, but he also doesn't want me to be enslaved. You know what I'm saying? That's right. Yeah. Um, and so, to what degree are we to act out as Christians in order to create liberation for people? And so, when you have a theology that, to me, right, I believe this in all that I've studied and research, um, that there's been this theology that is robust in this. And I think the reason why um, a lot of white evangelicalism is missing this 
is because there's there's when you're when you're <laughs> when your theology is always coming from the palace, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? You don't see the pain of people. And the crazy thing about white evangelicalism is they think they're the peasants. They think they're Moses and the Hebrews, but they're really Pharaoh. Oh, yeah, man. They're really Pharaoh and Egypt. Egypt. And so the people who they marginalize are actually the folks who are screaming, like, let my people go. And so that's where I think if they expanded their Rolodex and their, their library of theologians, I think you would get a better understanding of what it looks like to speak from a position mm-hmm. of privilege or a position of pain. No, I love that, man. I think one of the things that a game changer, because it, it burdens me. So when, and you talked about it, when white evangelicals or evangelicals are just like someone gets murdered in the street and it's questions, they, they don't automatically go to compassion, right? Which, which means to suffer with. And that's what blows my, this, during this, all these years, what has blown my mind the most is how can you have a huge group of people going, we're in pain. And then you have another huge group of people go, "Mm, oh, we don't believe you. When that, that large group of people follow the savior that came and suffered for us, like the disconnect there is huge. And I think you brought, you brought it up, man. It's that cognitive, like, do you know the, do you know the gospel? Like, do you know the the death, burial, resurrection? Can you, can you give me the scripture verses? Can you, but, but there's a lived out experience of that. I loved how you said that. And I think when you look at the body of the church and you think about suffering, um, I, I, I just think like to receive that from the black church that has lived in the suffering for so long and has continued to come to the conclusion that Jesus is the way. Um, that, that there's hope there, that it's not just a, and this is another theology that I think we got to be so careful of. It's not just about how do I just get to heaven? It's about experiencing that liberation. The kingdom is here and now and not yet. Right. And I I think that's, that's so beautiful, man. And so uh, for, for you, like, uh, and, and I love the idea that we need to continue to keep on fighting. Um, that, that you do need to push in. And we had talked about this earlier. It was off the, the recording, but you know, we talked about rest and Sabbath and how God builds that, builds that in. And I think friends, for those of you guys listening, we there's space, there's obviously a space for that as well. So it's not always push, 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 fight, fight, fight. There's a rhythm and a pacing to all this, but I do appreciate how you're saying we do need to press in. You can't abdicate from this. And for me and for our, our leaders and for what we're all about, this is about lives, man. It's about, this is about cities and communities transforming and changing. Um, and I really do believe the gospel is it for it, but I feel like we have to reframe. So for you, what, what are some, what are some spaces in the, you know, evangelical, like how do we create this, this different type of identity or reframing of evangelicalism? Any thoughts on that? What's the answer, show? Yeah, yeah, look. So once again, <laughs> it's just—it's not coincidence that you. I think you're talking to me this book because I, 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 you know, once again, I, I wrote this book and I have these ideas um, that I don't think are necessarily revolutionary, but I do think I've articulated in a way that I've taken a piece from this individual, taken a piece from this individual. But there's five points that I, I try to make in two of my chapters and. Uh, is based off of kind of like the Exodus. 
Hmm. And there's, if I could be a pastor real quick, yeah, <laughs> preach an alliteration of five, yeah, five L. The first one is when you look at when you look at God calling Moses to Pharaoh uh, to Egypt to to go and liberate the people. Uh, he's he saying, "Hey, I want you to liberate my people. I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go." So there's liberation there. Like, and not just physical liberation, but a mental liberation. Cause all the, like all enslavement, all oppression is not just physical. Like it doesn't just affect the physical, it affects the social, it affects the mental, it affects economics, it affects the, you know, educational, because you're learning the things that your oppressor wants you to learn. You're talking the way that you're, so I want you to be liberated holistically mm. from this oppressive system. The second thing is, is you establish leadership, right? So um, are you, I mean, maybe leadership first, the leadership goes and, uh, and fights for the liberation of people. Uh, the third thing is, is that once these folks just have uh, a leadership and liberation, you give them laws, you give them new ways to think, you give them new concepts, new principles. And it's not just moral principles. It's not just moral law, but it's also, Hey, Egypt practice business like that is should we do that maybe we shouldn't maybe we should change the way that we do business because maybe the practices that a particular oppressor had we shouldn't adapt um mm. but but he, the fourth thing is land right you know what i mean God, <laughs> it's hard to do anything when you don't have land and i don't mean just and i mean not only physical land but i mean institutions Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. to build institutions. You have to you have to build families. You have to be able to build things, right? Um, in order for your, in order for the next thing to happen, which is legacy. Okay. Because if you don't if you don't pass these things on to the generations before you, what happens? I mean, the generations after you, then what happens is fifty years later you'll be in the same predicament. Mm. And so, I think evangelicals today. We have to, we need leaders. We need people who aren't going to be here just for platform purposes, people who just don't want to check, people who aren't just folks who just want to shout on social media high, but folks who want to get their fingers dirty and say, hey, I want to see real liberation, physical, emotional, spiritual, Mm. economic liberation. Uh, I recognize we can't just create liberation for the purposes of licentiousness. People can't just run around and just do what they want to do. Like there has to be some structure and order. And I think a lot of our organizations and people today, they, they want chaos. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's never going to build community. And so we need law. But now that we have to figure out how to build land. Like what is, what is, because here's the thing. A lot of us say we want liberation. We just want more power and influence in white institutions. You know what I mean? Mm. Because, it's just a greater platform. Like, I mean, but no, like, it's okay to have positions in white institutions. White people are great. There's some wonderful white institutions. Um, there's some wonderful white evangelicals. Um, but understand when you're in the palace, you have to operate with the palace agenda. And that's, a, that's the reality of it. Like, that's the bottom line. And sometimes I'm cool with being in the palace. And there are times when I'm not cool with being in the palace. But ultimately, what I would love to see is for us to build our own quote-unquote palace or our own institutions, so that we don't have to always say, well, "What is this? What do they? What do they do? What do, what are they doing?" You know what I mean? And how do I get involved in there? How do I get their money? How do I get their political influence? Um, and then, how do we pass this down so that when we die off, our children and our children's children will have something to build off of and live off of? 
If you like what you're hearing, keep listening, but also make sure to check out our newest leadership resource, The Leadership Journey, by hitting up our website at uywy.org. My man, like, that, I mean, I, I almost feel like, man, you sure you don't work with us? You don't work for us? You should be leading this thing. Why Why am I here leading this thing? Because, man, I'll tell you right now. Uh, so, friends, if you didn't catch that, liberation, leadership, law, land, and legacy, I mean, just got taken to school by show. And if you're like, oh, I want to know more about that, guess what? The, the book's coming out May 18th. Uh, so, um, he saw that it was good. Yeah, man. He saw that it was good. So, you check that out. But, okay, so here's the thing, man. So I, one of the things is I'm watching this movement of the Holy Spirit, uh, church renewal. He's always good to his body. He's, yeah, it's not, the church isn't going to die, but it definitely needs to be revived in some spaces. It needs to be, um, you know, fixed in some places. It needs to be celebrated in others, you know? Um, but when we come to evangelicalism, one of the things that I think is so important and, and people, you know, they rage against like justice and they're like, ah, oh, it's a social gospel, all this kind of stuff. But here's what I think the next form of evangelicalism or whatever it's going to be called, you know, these young people are watching us and they're going, does your gospel make sense in our world? And I think it's a movement of God to say, um, Hey, when you actually do the things I've asked you to do, follow what I ask you to do in scripture, the righteousness of God, um, in Spanish, la justicia de Dios is it's, it's justice is the word for righteousness there. So when we actually live that out, that's the evangelical tool and, and vehicle that I think this next generation is going to be like, Oh, I'm for that. Like I didn't know. And we can draw them in. And then you've given us a really beautiful, like kind of pathway to that, then to leadership and law and land and legacy. Cause there still is a cost to following Jesus. You're right. You can't oh, you just, just run around, just do whatever you want and you can be spiritual. No, there's a calling and a, and a submission to, to his Lordship. But I think that that's beautiful, man. I, um, I, friends, I hope you're listening, um, because really uh, what we're trying to do at UYWI is that you just said it a lot better than I ever have. So, um, and we need to figure out how to support institutions like UYWI because the thing is, here's the issue. And I said this when I was uh, on another podcast, I said, you know, part of the problem with institutions that wouldn't consider themselves white evangelical is our problem is we start five or six institutions that are doing the same thing, and we don't have the, the financial and social bandwidth for all five or six of those institutions who are doing the same thing to succeed and flourish. You just don't. We just can't do that. We can't have five or six UIWIs. Like, we just can't. Right. We need two or three at the most doing what they do, doing it well, us helping to fund that, uh, sending our our. our and then as we begin to grow in financial stability and economic, you know, and social, then we can start expanding. But I, I just, I just think about like justice organizations and it's like 13 of them. And I'm just like, I'm like, you know, or you think about um, church planning organization and everybody wants to start one. And it's like, oh, is there one or two that are actually doing exceptionally well? Right. And it's, the problem is, is as soon as somebody diverts from the idea, it's like, well, I'll just start my own. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, now we're, 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 there's this, this, this fragmentation, this, uh, disintegration that is prevalent in, especially in the black community. And this is where, uh, and this has happened since the liberation, since the rec- uh, reconstruction, 
black folks just can't agree <laughs> on what it means to be liberated. And actually, that's a beautiful thing now because, you know, there's a diversity of thought, and I think it's good. Um, just as you can probably attest to the, you know, as you, whatever community you identify with. Yeah, yeah. You can't make your people out of a monolith. Like, there's no oh, yeah. one ideology that people... And I, and I think we have to believe in that. We have to trust that. But at the same time, we have to understand, well, if I recognize there's a diversity of thought in my community, how, how do we also come to an agreement on how to build institutions that are going to be a benefit for the folks that we care about? And sometimes that may go against my own self-interest. That's right. And yeah. that's where it becomes, that's where the act of God is like, uh, well, I'm going to die to myself in order to see the benefit of this institution, organization, people, et cetera, flourish and thrive. Now, I love that, man. Even in our leadership uh, training and, and what I teach is that's what's so beautiful about the idea of and the theology of the kingdom of God. Like, honestly, man, I don't care about UYWY. It's, it's the, it's a vehicle within the kingdom of God that we get to join in with what he's doing in the world. Right. And that's where a lot of the collaborations and the partnerships and the giving away of power and the going, Hey, let's do it together. Or, Hey, you guys do it better than we do. Why don't you do it? Yeah. You know what I mean? And we'll just yeah. cheer you on. And, and, and then when it comes down to money, you know, a lot of times, uh, so many organizations and churches, denominate, you know, it's like the scarcity mentality. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, no, I mean, if you do it better, you, why don't you get the money? Cause, cause what do I care? At the end of the day, if the kingdom expands and continues to, to grow and what God wants to happen happens, we all win. But that, but, and that's another part of like, I don't know if it's tribalism or what, but within evangelicalism is rampant oh, it's uh, and it's like, For sure. oh my gosh. And so and, and I just go, man. And so some of that kingdom theology, and I think that's some of the places too, that if we can continue to construct or, or just reframe or, or have the discussion and start to frame out this identity based in scripture and just having the conversation. But so often people are offended by the conversation. <laughs> like, like it's just too painful for them, which is, which is ironic because our Jesus and the evangelical theology would be like, I'm a sinner. It's to look inside first and be like, I need a savior. But it's like, as soon as we yeah. get saved and it's like, no, I'm good. Now everyone else is a sinner. So <laughs> it's like, it's so weird. I'm like, Absolutely. yeah, man. So no, that's been really helpful show. I mean, just some final thoughts from you, man, about, cause I, you really pushed, you, you started me thinking, man. So I've been thinking about this since November, man, since you dropped that on me. Um, like, what does it look like to continue to get together and collaborate and to construct? Um, I, and I don't even know if I call it a new evangelicalism, but yeah. cause, cause again, you, you have the, I want to learn from the mistakes of the past, but what does that look like for us? Or where are some areas that you see some hope? And and one of the areas I see you're involved in, I, I love the and campaign. I love the way that you guys kind of sit in that tension. Um, and it feels like it's a construction of, of, I don't even know what to call it of a reframing of the gospel, not a replacement of it, but do you know what I'm saying? Like what, yeah. what do you see out there? Oh, that's yeah. hopeful. I think there's a, I mean, there's a lot of organizations and people I see out there that's hopeful. I do think um, there's a lot of reimagining, and this is the way that I would communicate it, just a reimagining of 
of evangelicalism. I think that's still, mm. and then we have to be brave enough to, to, to take a bail, if you will, and step away from the influence and the power that some of these institutions have in order to build a new movement, if you were a new evangelicalism. Because for uh, many of us, we're, we are like a third culture. Mm-hmm. Not evangelical as it's described today. We are not traditional church as some of our family members attended, kind of like either black traditional or Catholic or, right. you know, um, um, fundamentalist, if you will. But we are folks who are children orphaned from evangelicalism who understand the equity uh, of a traditional church of the, some of the, the, the more, um, hmm. I guess even the churches our parents came from and were probably associated with, but we are a new breed of people. And, uh, that's what the ad campaign is. It's like, all right, I understand both the conviction and compassion of the world. I understand the compassion of the more, what people would say, the more progressive left side, but also understand the conviction of the individuals who hold the Bible in high fidelity. Right. And, those things aren't in opposition to one another. That's right. Uh, we see this in scripture. And I think what we try to do and oftentimes fail is see Jesus as an individual who wielded both with excellence. And mm-hmm. how do we do that? But the problem is, is oftentimes one side sees love as the affirmation of all things without any challenge. And the other side sees the conviction of all things without any compassion. So and good. so how do we begin to say be people who can say, no, we're in the we're in, we're in, as you say, we're in this, this is radical middle, but it's not we're in the middle because we don't know how to make a decision. We're in the middle because this is where we believe is the strongest conviction and truth of what we hold to. Yeah. Um, it's just that society hasn't created a space for us, so this is where we are and happen to call it the middle. And yeah. yeah. No, and, and that makes so much more sense when you look at this peculiar group of people called the church throughout history, when it's been healthy and beautiful, it has been that, that kind of carving out within the culture and then the space of a, of a different way of being. Um, and so I, I think that's beautiful, man. And lastly, just, this is just for me show. How has that journey been for you? You know, you said, you said the word orphans. Like, have, have you felt lost on this at all? Cause I gotta be honest with you. Some, at some points I just feel like, man, I just don't like, like, where am I supposed to go with this? You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, what's, you know, just a a few words, man. What what has that been like for you and how long maybe have you been on that journey? Like what? Cause a lot of people are on this deconstruction, right? But you know what? I I don't know. What's that look like for show Baraka? Yeah, I don't um yeah, I I am definitely I feel like an orphan. However, I, I don't feel like it's necessarily a bad thing as of right now. I feel like mm. it's 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 um it's liberating in one sense that I have the freedom to construct a new normal, a new identity, uh, a new a new place, a new home and without feeling like I have to tether it to this particular idea. It's like, no, I, I, can, I can pull from academia whom I don't believe I belong to because mm-hmm. of the lack of interest in, in religion. I can pull from white evangelicalism, but 
I don't have to tether myself to it who has this sense of lack of compassion. I can tether it to the traditional black church, but I, I don't have to exactly do that because of their lack of relevance spaces or, um, and to be honest, black church can be highly conservative too as well. Sometimes. But, um, <clears throat> but I don't have to be, I don't have to be solely any one of these things. I can try to figure out how do I, how do I, <laughs> I guess, deconstruct certain things but construct like my thing about deconstruction is that at some point you have to build something that's right and if if the goal is to constantly to see through things then you'll never see anything like you never land anywhere and gk chesterton talks about that like the goal to see through something is to eventually land somewhere and for me it's like well i don't believe in deconstruction is being healthy because what we're doing is we're just (laughs) we're kind of like pushing these Luddites out there who are just, oh, just tearing down everything. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, like eventually we have to, we have to, we can't just be anti-vision. We have to have vision. Mm. And, um, and people are for a lack of vision, as the scripture says. And so for me, I am at a place where I am contented with having this posture of, I know I don't belong to a particular institution, but I recognize that the church is highly important for the Christian. I also know community is highly important. I know that I am to fellowship consistently. I am to encourage one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also recognize that uh, I am not, and here's something that I think I want my brothers and sisters to hear. I am not utterly consumed with white supremacy and white evangelicalism. Like I do not spend all my day thinking about white supremacy because it is not my God. I don't, (laughs) I don't chase that ghost. I don't chase that ghost around the room all day. Yeah. At some point. And, uh, it's, it's a fairly popular quote from Toni Morrison. And she delivered it. I think it was in 72 at Portland State University. And she talked about racism as a distraction mm. and it keeps you from being busy. And that's what I feel white supremacy is. It's like the, to constantly argue with people and try to prove your existence and your worth and your value is fatiguing and it's a waste of time. And at some point you need to just ignore people and get the work done and yeah. do the work. That doesn't mean ignore racism, but it's ignoring the claim that you are, that you have no value. It's mm. Ignoring the claim, the the trauma, not ignoring the trauma because trauma, but ignoring the pressure and the, the, the weight that racism puts on you. And I think a lot of the trauma we experience is, is part of us um, chasing, just for the use of the analogy, is, is us chasing the ghost. Mm. And, I, I knew I was a black man in my early twenties when I went to the university. I said, "Oh, I'm a I'm a black man, and black people are different." And I realized it's different in Alabama than it was growing up in California. Uh, and the racial trauma that I experienced, I guess you could say, in California, was different from the racial experience and trauma that I've experienced in Alabama. And I had reconciled that at a young age, and so now today. When I drive past a police officer, I, I don't, I'm not, my life, I don't feel like my life is threatened. Like, and I'm not saying that that's something that other people should feel shame about if they feel that, but I'm saying like at some point you have to figure out how to deal with it. And sometimes dealing with it publicly is not the best way to deal with it. Yeah. 
And I think we have a lot of people who are dealing with their trauma publicly, and um, they may need to process that privately through counseling, through pastoral leadership, through friends, through meditation, through a lot of prayer, just a lot. But publicly on Twitter and Instagram may not be the best way you to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And because you don't know, as Galatians 6 talks about, you don't know what kind of burden you're putting on other people. That is unhealthy. Now, I do think there's a healthy burden for us to put on one another, but there's also a very unhealthy burden that we put on one another. And for me, uh, this is the reason why sometimes I feel like it's, it's, it's best for me to remain silent about issues because I may not have anything healthy to, to contribute to the conversation. Man, that's man, that's a whole nother podcast, bro. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so good, man. It so I recognize that it's challenge and pushback but yeah yeah oh no i i think it's it's just so helpful man show thanks so much for being on with me today man just just framing this it's these type of conversations that uh people need to have that they need to listen to that they need to wade into that they need to think through and so i i just appreciate you man i appreciate who you are um in the kingdom of god i appreciate what you do um you do have a, a book coming out uh, may 18th and hit me with the title one more time he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good by Show Baraka. May 18th. I'm sure you can get it on Amazon, all the, right? It's going to be everywhere. Yep, everywhere. <clears throat> everywhere, my friend. You can go to my website, barakaology.com, if you don't want to purchase it on those particular spaces. Yeah, man. Hey, thanks again. I appreciate you. Friends, thanks for listening thanks today. Um, I hope you continue to tune in to the next episode of the Futures Here podcast. We appreciate you, man. We'll see you guys later. Peace. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we don't want to leave you empty-handed. So here's a couple resources to help you shape the future. Get access to our latest leadership resource by visiting uywi.org and join our email list.